This is Ella Brady, and welcome to the UE Podcast. On this week's episode, I spoke to UEB's new GIS professor, Agaleki Barbaropoulou. We spoke about her background in natural hazards and risk, and what she hopes to bring to UEP this year. So to start off, where are you in the world right now? Yeah, thank you very much for inviting me. First time I'm doing this podcast, uh, or a podcast in general, I should say. Uh, I I am physically located in uh, New Hampshire, in Merrimack. It's a really nice little pretty town, discovering little interesting things every day. Yes. Great. Um, And what role will you be taking on in UEP when you join us in the fall? Um, I am actually joining the Urban Environmental Policy and Planning Department as a full-time lecturer. Um, I will be teaching classes in GIS, remote sensing, geospatial modeling, kind of a lot of things uh, in GIS, and possibly in the near future, maybe design um, a totally new class for the department. Absolutely. That would be great. Um, so prior to your PhD, you have a background in mathematics. Can you tell us a little bit about the path you took to reach GIS academically and professionally? Yeah, um, yeah, because there is a little bit of, um, I'm, it, it is not a, a crazy transition if you think about it and you dig into what the GIS is about, because on the background there's a lot of mathematics. But when you actually look at the two different fields, um, it is a little bit of an unusual uh, path. So as far as I remember solving problems in elementary school, and I have pictures in my head, ingrained in my brain, from solving problems in my class, in uh, last class of elementary school, I remember that the one thing I knew when I was finishing high school and I was heading towards you know, taking exams to see what uh, department I'm going to join, because in Greece, the system is a little different. Um, and I knew that I liked math. I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do. So I decided that, you know what, this is kind of the easy path for me. I'm going to go and do math. And so that's kind of the path I took. I did pure math. Um, I really enjoyed the satisfaction of doing like hard things that are not easy. Kind of was very proud, you know, of proving some uh, things in mathematics. But uh, later on, I realized that I kind of like the applications and um, where I can use math. And so the one thing that kind of led me, I guess, into earth sciences later on in life was actually um, seismology and earthquakes. I kind of um, was looking into a project, and I'm guessing this is going to be something that maybe many students probably will face. You look into a project, you think something, oh, this is very interesting, let me look into this, and then that really influenced me um, in trying to get into uh, geophysics, and earth sciences and become a seismologist. Um, Eventually I did uh, do a lot of applied mathematics combined with uh, earthquakes and seismology, a lot of things. And I got my PhD in uh, geophysics. 
Um, so I did not actually do any kind of GIS the way we define it now exactly, but I did do definitely spatial analysis and I did do a lot of things that overlap with remote sensing. Um, so a lot of uh, signal processing, a lot of other things. I mean, remote sensing deals with uh, raster images, which people might not know what it is, but it's actually pixelated uh, pictures. You know, the same way we take pictures with a camera. And all this actually relates to linear algebra. We do uh, all these classes and people ask questions, oh, why do I care about this? Actually, there is a lot of math on the background. Um, eventually, be because of my interests into patterns, I like to find and try to solve a problem. Why is something this way? Why, I guess, one of the projects that I early on I looked at it was why we do see unusual observations 2,300 kilometers away from Alaska in Seattle uh, from an earthquake that happened in Alaska. Why do I see these unusual observations and damage to uh, floating homes in Seattle? That kind of led me into trying to combine different types of data. And so I did what I guess we call in GIS spatial analysis, but at the time, I mean, in my department, that's not really, that was kind of the natural thing we're doing, trying to analyze, but we didn't call it spatial analysis per se. Um, so it was after my PhD that I started using GIS in a very primitive way to just process a couple of files. At the time, I thought it was very uh, difficult to use S3 software, it was an early version. Later on, though, I did attend some classes and stuff, and I trained. I got uh, also training on the job specifically for that, and I got involved into a project where I wanted to use my skills. And kind of from there on, I guess I had kind of an exponential <laughs> graphic into a, basically getting into GIS more and more and more, and I started using it more in my work. Wonderful. That makes sense. Um, so you come from uh, a lot of different experiences in different departments and different academic spheres. Um, could you go through the different departments that you've worked in? Um, when we talked earlier, you mentioned that it isn't just mathematics or um, urban planning departments that you've worked in. Um, yes, I guess the... Um, so I will... Uh, probably narrow down to where I worked other than what uh, departments I was in as a student. Um, so the first department I worked in was civil environmental engineering. Um, and this is because of my work in tsunamis. Um, a lot of the traditional, I guess, people that do work in tsunamis usually are uh, in the numerical modeling, usually they are coastal engineers. They're engineering people that do a lot of these things. Uh, although a lot of earth scientists, obviously, and geophysicists work on that aspect, but sometimes they do more geological work. So uh, in that aspect, I was, uh, I wouldn't say I was unique exactly, but I, I didn't have the engineering background, but the postdoc and then research professor position actually came up in the civil environmental engineering department. So that was the first uh, department I worked in. Um, and... After that, I worked in a research organization. It's similar to USGS uh, in New Zealand that deals uh, mostly with hazards, geohazards. 
um, again, is similar to the United States Geological Survey, um, worked a lot with emergency management, a lot, which I loved. I really enjoyed doing that. And then um, as, a, as a grad student, as a grad student, not undergraduate, I was in uh, a teaching assistant for a pure math department, applied math department, and also earth sciences. So I taught classes in the classical math classes, calculus, algebra, all these, um, and then a lot of uh, geosciences classes. Um, what other departments? So pure math, applied math, civil engineering. That's uh, a lot. <laughs> sciences as a grad student, um, geography and sustainability at Salem State. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was did I forget something? I think that's that's a, that's a lot of them. So yeah. <laughs> that's great. Thank you. Um, and so obviously you come at uh, teaching and GIS from a multidisciplinary background. Um, how does that you think add to your understanding of the field? Um, assuming it's beneficial. Um, obviously, my expertise is in hazards. Um, which has a little bit of overlap with, well, it is it has a very large overlap with physical geography. It's kind of difficult to separate the two. Uh, although the background I have has a lot of numerical modeling, which usually in geography, I think they're doing more observations and they're not doing a lot of this physical modeling of the phenomenon. For example, you know, take a tsunami and make sure you uh, model the source that produces the tsunami, the waves that are propagating through the ocean and inundating so that whole process, usually physical geographers do not do. Usually people will process data like satellite imagery or something else, and they might do some kind of modeling, but definitely not that type of physical modeling. So um, the, the one thing that I guess is, is very beneficial is having the quantitative background, since I am not in the social sciences side, at least my background is not in that. Uh, that is very beneficial. It also overlaps with the spatial data analytics program of the department uh, mm-hmm. that I also can communicate or might possibly contribute in the future as well. Um, so it, it, it helps me to see how all the different fields are actually blending together um, into one, why it's useful to actually get training in some areas, if you're interested, let's say, in in pursuing um, some uh, different paths uh, from geography. Um, so I'm not a social scientist, although I do have some small overlap with social scientists in some aspects that have to do mostly with planning and preparedness. Uh, that is definitely one part that I'm very, very interested in. And all my work actually was feeding into that aspect with respect to emergency management and hazards, but obviously there's overlap with other things. That makes sense. Great. That's wonderful. Um, So we went really large, zoning in really quickly on um, your natural hazards background. Could you, once you finished your PhD and started to work in GIS and in natural hazards, um, could you tell us a bit about the projects you worked on in that space? I think it would be... I probably have to go back. I was thinking about my project in San Diego, but that will be the probably the second one because the first one is the one that was for my PhD. But mm-hmm. as I said, I did not know it was spatial analysis, but in essence, it yeah. was. 
Um, so there was this Denali earthquake in Alaska uh, back in about 11, 10, 11 years ago. Uh, as I said, 2,300 kilometers. I'm not going to do the conversion in miles now. Um, that basically sent energy from the source or in, 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 in uh, the form of waves. So it is a low period. I guess you don't feel it. Uh, you don't actually feel that kind of ground motion. But that low period motion actually set uh, oscillations in water bodies like lakes uh, on its path and in Seattle. And those observations were kind of the kick off of my PhD. So there was some uh, work that was done, obviously, prior to me that I was doing research um, about how these waves and oscillations are generated in lakes or, or harbors or semi-enclosed water basins. And in trying to figure this out, I actually matched the data from seismic analysis, so earthquake uh, ground motion data, uh, with um, geological sedimentary data, so the presence of sediments, uh, which are a result of glaciation in the area uh, about 20,000 years ago, and uh, the observations that I had, and we found actually particular frequencies that we think, along with the sediments, set those waves into um, uh, setting. So, so that was kind of using, I would say, like about three layers of data with a lot of processing on the background, um, seismic data, a lot of other things. And so that was a kind of um, a complicated analysis. And that was the first time, I guess, that I probably experienced that spatial analysis without knowing. So, but the first time that I actually, um, how can I say, I was really aware of using my GIS skills with, with, with San Diego. Um, San Diego was um, an area that was part of my big project after my PhD and my postdoc. Uh, it is a very important uh, harbor and port. It generates a lot of money uh, locally, regionally, and for the U.S. Uh, it has a very big Navy base. It was one area that had not been researched uh, very well lately as, in terms of updates for seismic and tsunami hazards. So I knew there was a little bit of a gap and I wanted to do an update. So I did a hazard uh, risk assessment for, for San Diego. And um, as a result, I expanded this work by doing something that physical geographers usually look into. And at the time, I did not know, which is basically how coastlines uh, evolve. Uh, due to intervention by humans. Um, and so around ports and harbors, usually um, there is a lot of enhancement. There is a lot of dredging going on. There's a lot of things going on because uh, people and I guess the uh, port authorities, they're trying or, or the city or whoever is handling, I guess, the coastline. Uh, they're uh, developing the coastline not only for touristic purposes, but also to enhance space for port operations and also for easy navigation within the port. So they need deepening and all that stuff. But all these changes actually affect how waves enter the port and how they flood the coastline. So I used my knowledge in GIS. So somebody might say, okay, what did you do there? So I used my knowledge in GIS, taking historical data uh, in, in terms of uh, nautical charts, digitized them. And it sounds like really easy, but it is very large harbor. It took me a lot of time. 
to do that in the way I also lost some data because I was uh, <laughs> trying different <laughs> projections. So it was kind of funny uh, there. So I digitized three, uh, I would say, representative years. So I found those nautical charts that were uh, representative of very big changes in the harbor because changes were happening almost yearly. So I had to pick, you know, obviously not 50 maps, but like three maps. Uh, so what were the major changes in the port? And then I used that as the digital elevation model in my numerical model. So this digitization was input to a model that I had to run and see how different flooding around the coastline was in the different years. So it's like looking at San Diego in different snapshots in time and seeing how the waves flood the coastline and how also wave currents change within the harbor. The reason this is very important, and I'm trying to keep it as, as uh, simple as possible, the reason this is important is if you have big currents inside the port that can actually uh, be dangerous to nav navigation, anybody doing things, uh, let's say, in ships, um, if there is a base or there's things that are happening, um, submarine uh, or anything like that, or it can actually uh, cause damage uh, through different ways. Maybe um, um, I can forget now, got a blackout, but it can cause damage. So you want to yeah. know when you're getting big currents. Yeah. Wow, that's really interesting. <laughs> Um, thank you. Um, that's great. So switching gears to UEP and this coming year, um, out of all of these things, what do you hope to bring to UEP from your academic, professional, and personal backgrounds? And maybe uh, could you talk a little bit about your teaching style? Um, definitely my expertise in hazards, because it doesn't make sense for me, obviously, to sell an expertise I don't have. Mm -hmm. um, so my connections, uh, the fact that I will be bringing, um, I will be connecting people from many different organizations and ex I will expand also uh, my networking. Um, I do have regular collaborators that I work with. They're from completely different fields to, well, completely, largely unrelated to urban environmental policy and planning. They could be from uh, space organizations, they could be from environmental organizations in Europe, uh, they could be earth scientists or civil engineers, um, organizers or collaborators from other organizations in many different countries. Uh, so definitely new collaborations for both the people that I usually work with but also I will be connecting them to people in the department. So I'm hoping for something very multidisciplinary. So that's a, one thing I will be bringing in there. Um, I know that the hazards part, uh, there is some um, hazards uh, work that is being done. I shouldn't say some, uh, I don't wanna undermine uh, the work, but there is hazards work being done by the civil environmental engineering department, but I think the focus is mostly on the built environment. Mm -hmm. So mine is not just that. It's, mm -hmm. uh, it's environmental, and I also look at the, a little bit some uh, social aspects as well. In terms of my teaching style, I try to 
usually um, blend a lot of these things. I actually do appreciate how all the different fields come together mm-hmm. in a class. I try to um, make, I shouldn't say make, I try to, to uh, show to students, that's a better word to use. Uh, I try to show to students um, how everything blends together and it's always good, you know, whatever knowledge you have, you can bring it in. Um, and I do appreciate the different ideas that different people bring into a field because they're looking at something in a different way. And this is why I do like working with people from different, uh, that have different training because they always have a different set of eyes and it's not just physically a different set of eyes, but it's also the background makes them look at things differently. And I always use an example that was very striking to me from tsunamis, uh, from um, an old boss of mine uh, who mentioned that some of the work that was done in Greece um, uh, about uh, the Minoan civilization going into uh, further decline was a result of um, tsunamis that were generated by eruption of Thera Island in Greece, which we know as Santorini. This connection of this disaster and the Minoan civilization decline was actually a connection was made by an archaeologist, not by another scientist. So that is a great example. I always mention this to, to the students, like what can happen? Somebody can ask a question that may think silly, it sounds silly, and it might be something that the other person has never thought about. I'm always looking for things like that. Yeah. Um, I do try to make the classes fun, um, especially when you introduce the class, because having, um, you know, always... Um, a very quantitative background, sometimes you tend to, to want to go uh, and maybe throw some equations or throw some math. And it's not that it is bad to do that, but I kind of started uh, giving up on that uh, yeah. years ago and I always try to show fun pictures and just tell people exactly what they can do with the skills they learn and kind of at start trying to generate a little bit of interest in them. Mm-hmm. Uh, or I scare them, <laughs> showing them stuff. That's great. You definitely won't scare anyone. <laughs> um, well, um, I okay. So that's wonderful. Um, could you talk a little bit about what you like to do outside of work? Um, sort of what you do in your free time. Um, so. I have um, a young boy. He's going to be four next month. Um, and I had a little bit of a reset after birth. I almost lost myself a little bit because I was all uh, occupied with him. So at some point, I was not sure exactly. Like, well, people would ask me, what do you do in your free time? I'm like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> and I used to yeah. do a lot. So yeah. I used to uh, sing semi-professionally. Wow. Uh, I was a grad student, and I have found that this is actually something that I very much enjoy now, you know, singing mm-hmm. music. Yeah. And, um, I'm kind of thinking of maybe taking some lessons again, maybe yeah. sort of um, recording for myself. I mean, I would love to sing and perform, but um, it is not necessary that I do. So I try to... There's a lot of things that I'm interested in. Some of them I spend less time. Some of them I spend uh, more time. I do like, I think, in general, 
things that I see something produced as a result of them. Mm-hmm. For example, I'm doing small projects around the house now, plumbing stuff, renovating bathroom on my own using YouTube videos. <laughs> That's <And> hard. <laughs> so I did I, I did a change uh, a sink faucet by myself. And I was wow. Thinking, oh. <laughs> That's so great. Thank you. <laughs> um, I do little crafts here and there. Not, not really super good at them, but I do some knitting, uh, obviously in the winter. Um, and I used to play volleyball a lot. So oh. I don't know if I'm going to find an opportunity to maybe get into this. So I do like fitness uh, mm-hmm. myself and I try to find some ways to get fit and relax, maybe do yoga. Um, travel used to be a very big thing for me. Now yeah. I do things like more regionally, locally, but I always like to discover places and so I still explore New Hampshire because I have not been in New Hampshire for too long. I've only mm-hmm. been for like a year. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of little things, park trails, nice coffee places, mm-hmm. um, parks. Definitely. Florida so is. Yeah, that's great. That's a lot of things. That is a, a large amount of things to do in your free time. Um, so that is all the questions that I have, but I want to give you some space. Is there anything that we missed that you think that students should know um, about you or something in your background that you want to, to highlight? Um, it's okay if not. I'm trying to think of something that I, I don't think there is anything major that I did not mention. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we talked about the the classes and everything that we, I am going to do when I'm coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, could you just say that for the record, um, which classes you'll be teaching in case yeah. we can? In the fall, I'm going to be teaching intro to GIS. I'm actually going to teach that in the spring as well. Uh-huh. I'm teaching remote sensing, so I am building the class right now. Oh, wow. Uh, obviously, it's not a new class in terms of like remote sensing was offered. Mm-hmm. Uh, remote sensing was offered before, but this is going to be a uh, new material, mm-hmm. uh, maybe covering similar topics, but new material. And then in the spring, I'm teaching uh, geospatial modeling and Python, Python for um, geospatial technologies. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm hoping in the future to teach um, some class that will evo- involve hazards or yeah. maybe applications in emergency management. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping to actually connect to some organizations. There is a consortium that is local in New England that deals with uh, hazards. So I'm hoping uh, to do that. Um, yeah, that would be great. Um, okay, anything else uh, before I end the recording? This was great. I just, I just hope that... Um, you know, I'm looking forward to actually the the new semester. I'm very excited, I'm a little bit anxious, you know, because I know the students are very good and I have seen a lot of the other lecturers and faculty mm-hmm. uh, doing amazing job with the, with the, with their classes. And so I know the the bar is very high. So I'm I'm quite excited. When you push yourself, you always get better. So I'm I'm quite excited actually for the new. Yeah. Yeah. Academic year. I think it's going to be great. There's going to be a lot of good energy on campus after this year. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay. Well, thank you so much um, for joining us on the podcast. And we look forward to seeing you on campus. <laughs> thank you so much also for the invitation. Thank you.